Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 324, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in Spain. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about Spain. It's one of these places where, you know, people ask you, what's your favorite country? And we kind of look at each other and um and ah. Uh, and after New Zealand, which is home and an amazing place, we just kind of get stuck. But then... If you look at the numbers, we've spent over two years in Spain now. We've lived in at least three cities. We've spent months walking across it. Number two has to be Spain. It definitely is. It's funny because people ask us this all the time and our answer is, in the end, it's always Spain. But it always takes us a while to get there because we're thinking about, I don't know, for us, Spain seems quite normal. It's comfortable. We know how it works. It's really crazy, but we know how it works and we're used to it. So it doesn't feel like an exciting place, but it really is one of our favorite countries in the world. It sure is. Uh, what have we been up to over the last few weeks? Not much at all, but it has been our birthday week. So we've been celebrating two birthdays in one week as we normally do around this time of year. It's been a bit of a comedy of errors. <laughs> I think, you know, you could probably get a, get a bit of a slapstick Jeeves and Worcester kind of satire out of this. It could almost be a Shakespearean comedy play. Yeah, yeah. Let's not all die in the end. No, no, no. The comedies they live, there's marriages. Yeah, yeah. Either they get married or killed. Mm. But, you know, we're already married. <laughs> yeah, we meant to record a podcast last week, but because of this comedy of errors in part, it just didn't happen. It was raining and then we had visitors and just all sorts of things happened. But basically, the story begins last Saturday. So Craig's birthday was on Sunday, and we went out for a nice meal for Craig's birthday eve. We drove down to Santiago, which is about an hour, an hour and a half away. We had a really nice lunch. That was good. And to celebrate Craig's birthday on the day, we thought we'll go out for pizza. And so we had a rather relaxed Sunday, just, you know, didn't do too much. And then we took the dogs out for a walk. When we came back, the power was out. And we thought, oh, no, this is frustrating because our plan was to go and get the pizza and come home and have, have pizza at home. So we thought, that's fine. Change of plans. Instead of going and getting the pizza, we'll, we'll go and have it there because the chances of their power being out as well was quite low. Well, apparently it wasn't low enough because the power was out all throughout Santa Fe, which is the town that's near here. So we drove into Santa Fe in the darkness, found the pizzeria, only to see that their signs had been removed, their furniture had been removed, and there was no one around. So we weren't sure if that was just because they'd just gone on holiday or because because the power was out, they'd just closed up and brought all their furniture inside. We had no idea, but we also had no pizza. So we came home, and I put together dinner in the dark by the light of candles. It's supposed to be romantic. It was actually just a bit challenging. <laughs> yeah, something similar happened for Linda's birthday where we decided to go out for dinner that night. And we were going to go to a restaurant we ate at the last time we were in Panama that we absolutely loved. I've been told it's the only Cambodian restaurant in Central America. It's by far one of the best restaurants that I've been to in Central America. So I rang up in the afternoon to make a booking, and they said they were closed until November. Closed until November. November. So, no it's chance June. at all of being able to go out for a meal there. So that's cool. We just decided we'd go up to the local hotel, which has a restaurant, nothing fancy, but we'll just go out there and have a, a meal out. And the next day we'd go out for a, a nice lunch, drive back down to Santiago, do something special. That was all good. And, you know, 
got dressed up, jumped in the car, went out there to find that the chef had decided to go home at four o'clock, five o'clock, and so they weren't serving any food. It turns out basically in the low season, you have to make a reservation if you want to eat there for dinner. And they will stay open for you as long as you've reserved a couple of days in advance. And of course we hadn't because we thought we were going to this Cambodian place. So we went home. This time, we didn't have to cook by candlelight, and Craig put together a really delicious meal of stuffed chicken breasts. I was super impressed. She says that. No, it was good. I think it was better than what we would have had at the hotel. Not as good as the Cambodian restaurant, because that was really, really good, but better than the hotel for sure. So anyway, that's been our birthday week full of uh, small surprises, normally of the not-so-nice kind. But hey, that's life out in the country where things can just change on the drop of a hat. All right, so let's move from Panama to Spain. Before we get started, here is a recording that we made basically this time last year when we were in Aro for the Aro Wine Festival. We were walking through the town in the afternoon and the evening. There were lots of people around and there was a brass band playing. So here is the Aro Brass Band. So number one, and one of our favorite things to do, is of course to walk. And in Spain you have the unique opportunity to walk the Camino de Santiago, one of the world's most famous walking routes, and one we've covered in, I'd say, a little bit of depth in the past. I think we might have mentioned it once or twice. (laughs) I was looking back over some of our old notes and podcasts, and we have talked about the Camino quite a few times. So basically, just to recap, the Camino de Santiago is a network of pilgrimage paths that started around 1,000, 1,100 years ago. And the idea was that people could walk to the Cathedral of Santiago and that would kind of clean their sins so they wouldn't have to go to purgatory. And so over the years, thousands and thousands of people walked this route and it fell into disuse but has become more popular again since the 1980s. Now, a lot of people think there's just this one path that starts on the border with France and goes about 1,900 kilometers, something like that, uh, all the way to Santiago. But actually, it's a huge network. There are heaps of them. Because in the Middle Ages, people would just leave their houses and walk to Santiago. So from wherever they started, that was the route. Personally, we've walked four of the routes. We've walked the Camino Frances, which is the most popular one. We've walked the Via de la Plata, which starts in Seville in the south of Spain. We've walked from, from La Coruña in the north of Spain. It was only about 72 kilometers, but it still counts. And our most recent one was the Camino Primitivo, which we walked last July with, uh, with our friend Janine. One thing you can do on any of these different routes, and to be honest, you don't even have to do a Camino, is point number two, eat the local delicacies wherever you go in Spain. I think a lot of people aren't aware that Spain, as we know it now, is actually a combination of dozens of little kingdoms and principalities, and each one is just so unique in its cultural background. It's only been kind of the the last several hundred years. I know it's a long time, but that it's been forged into a nation state and, and one whole kind of combined thing. But each of these regions are just still so unique. And so the food and the drink from each of them is absolutely special. And then every town and its outlying district has its own speciality. And 
you know, just outside of the town there's three or four villages which only do this one type of cheese or only prepare their ham in this way. And so wherever you go, you have this explosion of, of tastes and some of them are very subtly different and some of them are just completely different from anything else in the country. I think my favorite thing about Spanish food is tapas. And you can get tapas in lots of different places around Spain, although they're, they're more popular in some regions than others. And basically what it is, the word tapa means top or cover. And the story goes that uh, some famous king asked for a piece of bread to put on top of his beer so that the flies wouldn't go in. Now, there are differences of opinion of whether the story is true. But anyway, the word tapa basically means a small plate or a small dish of food. In some places, you go out for a drink and you get a free tapa. For example, when we lived in Alcalá, that was really common. You could go out for a drink, pay two or three euros, and you get your choice of various tapas. In other places, you might pay a euro or two euros for your tapa, and in other places, you pay a lot more. Yeah, there's such a wide variation of what it means from bar to bar, even in the same city. Sometimes it means a couple of stale potato chips. Other times it's a mini meal with a, a burger and chips. So you just really need to play it by ear and, and ask around to find places where you're going to get what you're after. Yeah, we heard that Granada was a great place for tapas, but we were we were a bit silly. We didn't ask around to go to the best places, so we just went to some places that advertised you know, 10 tapas for $10 or something like that. That is a bad idea. Very bad idea. So it's worth asking around, finding out where the best tapa places are so that you can get your best experience. Now, a lot of people, when they think of Spain, they think of paella. And paella, which is a, a delicious rice dish. Paella, my paella. parents would say. Yeah. <laughs> that double L is supposed to be pronounced like a Y, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's a really popular Spanish dish, but it's not actually popular all over Spain. It's from the Valencia region, and you'll definitely get it there. And I'd highly recommend you do. When we were in Ancala, we quite often saw some bars that would have a paella evening on a, on a Sunday or they'd uh, have a big thing of paella, you'd get a tapa with your drink that they wouldn't usually offer. So you will see it around. Be aware, though, if you're going out for paella, that when you see restaurants that have those big pictures of different paellas on offer, that's probably not your best place to get it. They're probably frozen and reheated portions. If you're up for a big meal or you're traveling on a budget, there's nothing better than the menu del dia, which is a, a set price lunch menu that's found all over the country. Uh, you go into a bar and you get a first, a second plate and a small dessert, maybe a flan or a, a piece of uh, fruit, something like that, along with a glass of wine or a bottle of wine between you if you're two or three people. That just makes for a nice big lunch which is perfect follow-up with the siesta in the heat of the afternoon. should probably mention that lunch in Spain isn't at midday. It's much more common to head out maybe around 1 might be the earliest start. So having lunch around 2 o'clock is really common. Having dinner, uh, which is normally a light meal, around 10 or 11 p.m. is pretty common right across the country. Yeah, so if you're going there just for a couple of weeks, it might be a challenge to get yourself into the routine of the Spanish way of eating. But give it a go, because it is quite a cultural experience. Linda mentioned Granada before and uh, how we had a bad food experience in what's meant to be one of the culinary capitals. Uh, another reason to go to Granada is the Alhambra, and that is point number three. It was so worth it. It's one of these amazing complexes that's palaces and buildings and gardens, and it's been around for years. I'm not actually sure when it was constructed, but it's one of these amazing historical places that 
will just blow you away. And Granada is an amazing city in itself as well because it's pretty close to the sea and then it's also close to the mountains. So they say that you can go from the sea to the mountains in a couple of hours, which is not very common. It was really cool. I just loved the water fountains that were at play everywhere and it kind of brought together and symbolized to me the amazing engineering that happened uh, in medieval Spain. It's just fantastic. Okay, let's go on to point number four, which is to celebrate Semana Santa. There's something about Easter in Spain that just captures my attention. We've spent three or four Easter's there now, and I just love it. I don't know what it is. The whole country kind of gets together to celebrate. In most countries where Easter is celebrated, it's one day or maybe two days off work. But in Spain, although you don't get that many days off work, you do celebrate for the entire week. That's why it's called Semana Santa, which means Holy Week. Like many countries which celebrate Christian holidays, Semana Santa is about family. But I haven't been anywhere else in uh, the, the Catholic tradition that celebrates with such pageantry as Spain does. And that includes around uh, Central and South America, which is also known for huge processions and super elaborate costumes. Yeah, it's amazing. The first time we ever celebrated the Semana Santa in Spain was in 2008 when we were walking our first Camino de Santiago. And it was amazing. We'd show up in these little towns and there'd be a procession going on and we'd get involved. And we really felt like we were part of the experience. We are part of, part of local life. So I think that was a really a moving experience. The most memorable Semana Santa for me was our most recent one when we were in Alcalá de Henares uh, where there were processions every day. I remember hearing about one nunnery that's there where the nuns inside aren't allowed to even look out the windows, with the exception of one day a year when they'll come up to the window to watch their icon, the statue of Jesus or Mary, I can't remember, that's in their particular church, and to watch that parade down the street. Combining crazy things like that that's just so out of joint with kind of modern 21st century life with uh, penitents who will walk down the street as part of the procession, bare feet, carrying chains, just absolutely mind-blowing in the way people conceive of their spirituality. Also, the last time we were in Spain for Semana Santa was the year that we discovered Torrijas which is a delicious Easter treat, which is very similar to French toast. And we ate far too many of those. I don't know if you can eat too many. <laughs> if you can't get there for Semana Santa, there's plenty of other great local festivals to celebrate. There's stuff happening all year because every town and every village has their own local festival. Now, some of these stay local, and it's about all the family coming back to town for the weekend and getting absolutely blottoed. Other ones have a certain theme that's become more and more popular over time. Probably the most famous is the running of the bulls. Definitely. Now, we've never been to that, but some friends of ours have, and we've heard it's absolutely crazy. So people get dressed up in their white outfits, and it's not just one day. I thought it was just one day, but it's a whole week of corridas, which means the, the running part. And yeah, crazy people run in front of the bulls as they run along the street. I wouldn't do it, but some people enjoy it. festival that was much more up my alley was the Aro Wine Festival. Now, you heard the uh, brass band playing there at the top of the show. This is the, the capital of Rioja, the most famous of Spanish wine regions. And every year they take their excess wine and people buy wine to bring along. And there's a huge water fight. 
But when I say water, what I really mean is a huge wine fight with a few thousand people destroying, I don't know, 20, 30,000 liters of wine and spending the morning both drinking it and throwing it at each other and having a bit of a rave while wine is sprayed over the top of them. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that one more than La Tomatina, which we went to a few years ago by accident. We didn't mean to be in Valencia for the time of La Tomatina, but we were. So we went and had quite a good time, actually. This is before they started issuing tickets. So when we were there, it was one of the last years where it was just absolutely crazy. I don't know if it's still absolutely crazy, but yeah, throwing tomatoes at a few thousand of your friends. I think there were 40,000 people there the year we were there. It was quite fun. Yeah, it's in this tiny town called Buñol, which I just cannot handle the people. There are more, I don't know, let's say cerebral things to celebrate as well. One of the Spanish language's top writers, novelists, artists of all time was Cervantes. And we were lucky to, well, we were lucky enough to stay in Alcalá de Henares for a year, which was the birthplace of Cervantes. Yes, and every year they have a one-week-long festival celebrating him, which involves a medieval market and all sorts of things, including readings from the book of Don Quixote. We went to that, and it was really cool because it was in this old theatre called the Coral de Comedias, which is very similar to Shakespeare's Globe. And in fact, Shakespeare and Cervantes both died in the same year, which I never knew. And also we saw his baptismal register being carried from the town hall across the road to the, the church, while well, the now-destroyed church where he was baptised. Such a good lot of cool things going on. If you can swing it and end up in Spain for Christmas and New Year's, it's a great time to be around. They don't have the kind of fairy tale Christmas markets you might find in Poland or Germany, but they do have a lot going on. We really loved our time in Jerez in the south of Spain, where we spent Christmas one year. Because it's in the south, it's a lot warmer than other parts of the country. Still cool, you know, 15, 16 degrees Celsius. But people are still out in the streets singing and dancing and playing the zimbomba, which is this weird instrument that looks like an urn with a skin over the top. We saw heaps and heaps of Christmas nativity scenes, delicious Christmas food. And the celebration's gone for ages because it goes on from about the 6th of December right through until about the 6th of January. And there are processions and parades and Christmas lights. There's always something going on, so it's a lot of fun. Spanish kids don't get their gifts on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Instead, the three wise men or the three kings bring them their gifts. And so the whole thing is kind of out of whack with our expectations. And it seems like Christmas goes on for a whole month. It sure does. But it was delicious and fun. So yeah, that was really cool. Jerez is the home of Sherry, Spain. And while you might know Sherry is that horribly sweet wine that your grandmother used to drink, it is much, much more than that. And it's fantastic. Brings us on to our next point, which is to drink local. And in Spain, because of this regional variety, you really have a chance to do that too. We really, really, really enjoyed our time in Jerez, partly because of the Christmas experience, but also just learning about sherry. Yeah, we thought it was just the sweet wine that nobody really drank anymore. But there's so much variation from the, the really, really dry fino right up to the super sweet Pedro Jimenez. It's worth trying, definitely. And being literature geeks, I really enjoyed drinking sack, which is mentioned in well, in some of Shakespeare's plays and in so many other writings that are around the same time. And it's actually a brand name, and that mark still exists. It's still produced. And it's not to many people's tastes these days, uh, so they don't sell a lot of it, but they keep it going, keep up the tradition, and it was a great novelty drink. 
We also enjoy trying other wines and wine variations around the country. For example, the white wine Alvarino in the north. Uh, we also tried Most or Mosto, which is like a young wine that's only about 11%, and it's the wine that is first produced before it's processed into sherry or, or into other types of wine. Yeah, quite different from Most and Mosto in, uh, in German countries, like in Austria mm. and uh, the south of Germany. Delicious as well, though. And we really enjoyed it when we were staying in Jerez because they had restaurants called Mosto that were just seasonal restaurants, and you could get your Most, and you could also get a light meal. So that was really cool. A lot of people know Spain for sangria, which is a mix of red wine and fruit juice with, uh, you know, a fruit salad thrown in there too, <laughs> maybe a splash of sherry or something like that to give it a kick. But most Spanish people we met don't touch it except for on special occasions. The everyday summer wine cocktail drink of choice is Tinto de Verano. And we drink a lot of that as well. You get a similar experience to drinking sangria, but it's a lot easier to make. It's basically just half red wine and half lemonade, like Sprite or 7-Up, something like that. So nice and easy and nice and refreshing. There's no better place to have a cool wine cocktail as at the beach. And being a peninsula in and of itself, Spain has a lot of beaches and a lot of islands with fantastic famous beaches as well. Yeah, so when you're feeling a bit tired on a hot summer day, point number seven, hang out at the beach. I guess tying in a whole bunch of stuff we're talking about today, we really enjoyed the beaches up around Coruña, a Coruña in the northwest of Spain in Galicia. That's right on Albariño country, so you've got that beautiful wine. You've got Galician-style octopus, which is just fantastic. So you've got this lovely, fresh-cooked octopus uh, with a bit of nice local bread. You've got this cool, crisp wine, and you're sitting overlooking the coast. It's awesome. But probably my favorite Acarunya memory, memory was the Festival of San Juan. San Juan in Coruña is absolutely mad as a festival. And it's coming up really soon. It's just next week. So basically, San Juan is the big festival in, in Coruña. And one of the biggest events is that everyone goes down to the beach, they bring old furniture and other flammable materials, and they make bonfires. So the two twin beaches are completely filled with people sitting around. You have to get there really early to get a spot, building their bonfires, maybe toasting something over the fire. And then Later on in the evening, as the embers start to die down, you're supposed to jump over them, which symbolizes the end of the year, the burning of old memories and starting again. Yeah, and then you uh, kind of baptize yourself in a mix of like rose water with some mint and rosemary, kind of splash that on yourself. You end up pretty fragrant with all the smoke off the fire and the coals and the sardines you've been eating all day, then finish up with that. Now, I remember vaguely from fifth form school certificate Latin and classical studies the the Romans had a really similar festival, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a massive synchronicity here, because Spain and the Roman Empire are so closely entwined. So much of modern Spain is based on the infrastructure that the Romans created. You know, there's just so many of these ancient wonders around, and that's point number eight, is go Roman. Staying with Acarunia, it doesn't have a lot of Roman architecture per se, but there is a Roman lighthouse 
that exists. And when we first went there, I looked at it and it looks like this kind of quite a modern lighthouse, a little bit stylized. I'm like, yeah, Roman lighthouse. Yeah. So there's a spot where this Roman lighthouse was, but no, you go inside this protective shell that they've built around it. And there's actually an almost 2000 year old Roman lighthouse still on that coast and still more or less functioning. It's amazing. And that's not the only thing. There are Roman ruins all over Spain. In fact, we told you that we walked the Via de la Plata. Well, that's an old Roman road that basically goes from Seville in the south all the way north. And we walked along it for 700, 800 kilometers. It was one of the more boring hikes we've done in our (laughs) life because given that you're mainly following Roman roads, they mainly go in straight lines. And given that they created most of the infrastructure, a lot of the time you're walking alongside modern motorways and highways uh, or even along it because those routes and connections in those townships that were founded then are still so important today. It's crazy. But one thing I really enjoyed was that in a lot of these little towns, there are Roman ruins with like a little interpretation center where you can go in and learn a bit about the ruins. And so that was fun. You just go in and spend an hour there and and learn a bit of history. The most dramatic, I think, is probably Segovia, where there is this huge aqueduct that's uh, that's in place and it's, it's still in place. I mean, it's not still running, but it just blows my mind to imagine that an aqueduct that was built up in the mountains at about the same time that Jesus was wandering around is still in existence today and still would function if uh, it had a bit of a tidy up. It's crazy. It's amazing and so beautiful, really gorgeous. Okay, let's move on to point number nine, which is to party like a Spaniard. Oh my God, I can't handle partying like a Spaniard. Now, we lived there off and on for over two years and we have partied like Spaniards two or three times. And gosh, every time we do it, we are exhausted. I don't know how they do it. I don't, I really don't. Spanish people somehow manage to have ordinary work hours, yet they eat dinner at 10 o'clock, go to bed at midnight. And when they're partying, they're staying up until dawn the next day. Totally crazy. But they definitely have a good time when they're out partying. Absolutely. And my favorite time of the night is after the sun's risen and you've uh, kind of kicked out. You're feeling a bit, a bit tired, a bit, a bit happy, and it's time to go and get breakfast. Now, in England, you'd sleep it off and wake up, have a big breakfast, big fry up, soak up all that alcohol. In Spain, no, it's much more delicate than that. It's churros with chocolate. It's little mini donuts with chocolate, and you sit and eat that before you head home, before you collapse. Now, if you're like us and you're not so keen on the going out, staying out all night, and you just want the churros con chocolate, that's fine. We're totally happy for you to do that. We, we have done that. So, yeah, fine. Yeah. I guess the, the cultural faux pas that we'd often make is we'd try and go get it as a, I don't know, a very early dessert or even a pre-dinner dessert around 8 or 9 o'clock. And that's cool. That's when kind of the grandmas are out with their with their kids, or with their grandkids, sorry, and you know, having a bit of a tea before the parents take the kids out for dinner. So that's okay, but churros con chocolate really is a breakfast and the perfect finish to a night out. Okay, the last point, point number 10. What is one more thing that we should do in Spain? Well, we've talked a lot about the the cities in passing as we've gone through here, but what really makes Spain special for me is the countryside, the small towns, the pueblos. 
That's right. We really love heading out into the country and spending some time in these tiny little towns. When we walked the various Caminos that we've done, that was one of our favorite things, is just walking into a town, seeing these beautiful buildings that hardly any people see, talking with the local people, having a drink in a bar or a cafe, and just experiencing it. Yeah, definitely combining hiking with the countryside is a great way to do it. But if you're road tripping around as well, don't be afraid to make time for these small towns. Stay in a, a tiny little B&B, get served pork that they've just slaughtered that morning, have an omelette made from the uh, the eggs from the chickens running around outside. It's just so bucolic. It's, I have this slightly romanticized version of it in my head. I think Keats would be proud. <laughs> uh, you know, it's It's just such a special thing. If you're driving around, then one good area to do this in is in Andalusia in the south because there are these beautiful white towns, or Pueblos Blancos they're called, and quite a lot of them are perched on hills. They're all painted this beautiful white color, really picturesque and quite nice to wander around. Beautiful sheep's cheese. Mm. Um. Well, there are certainly heaps more things that we could suggest you do when you're in Spain, but these are our top ten. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us, mail at antitravelpodcast.com. We're always happy to give advice about what to do in Spain because we really, really do love it. And if you work for the Spanish Tourism Board, yes, we'd be happy to take a check for this episode. We've got a little trip coming up. Linda's brother and his fiance are coming down to Panama City. So we're going to be jumping on the bus and heading over there to meet them, spending a couple of days in the city. Uh, it coincides nicely with the opening of the second branch of the Panama Canal, the newer, wider uh, canal. It's going to be good. We're missing the official opening party by a couple of days, but there's already been a ship through, so I think we can say it's open enough for us to go see it. Yeah, I hope so. they all let us go and see it because I'm, I just can't believe we're missing it by literally two days. That is such bad timing. Why do we always do this? I don't know how we do it. It's because we don't plan anything. <laughs> That's a good point. Smooth. So we're looking forward to that. Bit of a world first. And she'll just be kicking on through the next few weeks until we speak to you again. Well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.